created this, you know, through your lifestyle and you can uncreate it. Welcome to A Congruent Life, where we share inspirational stories of authenticity and happiness. A Congruent Life is an interview project sharing the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, discovering their passions, and living authentic, amazing lives. Here's your host, Andy Gray. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me for episode 30 of A Congruent Life. My name is Andy Gray, and I'm really grateful that you've chosen to share this time with us. A Congruent Life is an interview project that explores themes of authenticity, particularly those where people hit some sort of critical junction in their lives, perhaps through some sort of self-realization or an internal or external crisis, and then have the wherewithal to reinvent and live their lives in a way that is more congruent for them. That's certainly the case for today's guest, Julie Harris. Julie learned some important lessons about listening to what her body was telling her and found herself with a chilling diagnosis of cancer from which she was not expected to live. How she dealt with that situation and moved forward in her life is nothing short of remarkable. I'm talking today to Julie Harris, who is a former IT executive and now works as a wellness and life coach. Julie, welcome to A Congruent Life. Thank you, Andy. Happy to be here. It's great to have you as well. Well, let's maybe just start. Uh, can you just give sort of a quick introduction of, of yourself to our listeners? You bet. Um, I'll start with really a theme that's run through my life um, that's a little more about who I am as to really going into specifically what I've done in my life. And that theme has really um, grown, I would say, over the years. And that is just I'm a person who really loves people and has a lot of a lot of compassion for people, a lot of interest in people, and really what I'll call a gift. It's not something that I've, I've really tried to learn of um, really seeing the perfection in others and really seeing their essence, their potential, their greatness. And, you know, when I look, when I look across my life, the, the 41 years here so far, you know, I really see that that stems from um, a really great upbringing, you know, of really loving and supportive family, parents, and siblings. And then it really carried through, you know, through school and my career. And now I find that I'm living that, you know, in the coaching that I'm doing now. Um, I got here in a somewhat organic, unplanned way. And then I I find now in my life I'm really able to use that gift, you know, and give back to the world in a lot bigger way. So I'm really enjoying, enjoying that. That's fantastic. I think an important part of your story really is, let's say, your teenage years when you were going to school. So let's maybe start there. Where, um, what were you up to as a teenager and, and what sort of ambition and vision did you have for your life at that point? Okay, great years. Definitely great memories. As a teenager, and this came, again, I would say a lot from my mom and dad, you know, really, I mean, to this day, give us so much. I have three siblings, now nieces and nephews on the scene, and they give us so much love and support and really 
encouraged us. It's easier to see this in hindsight to really do what we loved. You know, they gave us a lot of a lot of rope, so to say, had a lot of faith and trust in us. And then there was certainly that that discipline there where it was necessary. And so during my teenage years, I really loved school, have always been a very driven person where I had to have perfect attendance and, you know, had to get straight A's. And then athletics were always a really big part of my life. And so I played a lot of volleyball and more so basketball. Um, I have an older brother, two years older. And so I would, you know, go to the court and play with him and play with his friends and really, um, you know, grew into basketball being something that I enjoyed and was more natural at. And during high school, volleyball was a much smaller part of my life. And then as I started looking at college and found that I was being recruited, you know, somewhat for the academics and then a lot for basketball and less for volleyball, it was one of those, you know, when you have in your life a right place, right time moment. Um, there was a coach at the time, the coach for University of Notre Dame. His wife's um, parents had, I grew up in a small town called McCall in Idaho, um, you know, graduated in a class of 54 students, very small, a couple thousand people in the town. And his wife's parents happened to have a summer cabin um, on the lake in McCall, and they came into the gym you know, when we were playing an open gym and kept in touch from there. And then my senior year offered me a full ride volleyball scholarship. And so that's where, you know, really fortunately with that solid foundation, I was able, you know, to look across the schools and to really be able to think about, okay, what education, what experience is going to bring me, you know, the most opportunity later in life and really to view athletics as this great ticket to do something I love and, you know, get school paid for in the process. And so when I first made that choice, you know, it was a big leap in faith. I had a lot of confidence in myself playing basketball and I didn't have a lot of confidence, you know, in myself playing volleyball. And, um, you know, he said, you're tall and you can jump and we'll teach you how to play. And so I felt very, you know, fortunate from, you know, my years, like you said, those teenage years being very active um, and having athletics be such a big part of my life that, that that opportunity presented itself. What do you see as some of the takeaways from being so involved in athletics at, at that point in your life? What it taught me as I, you know, as I fast forward even through college and, you know, started looking at the career world, um, there were some real things that athletics taught me that I wouldn't have necessarily seen when I was in the midst of it. And that's why I'd encourage, you know, any of your listeners who are, you know, parents, whatever it is that their children love, if it is athletics, if it's music, um, to really foster that, you know, in the, the extracurricular activities outside of school. Um, what I found is the teamwork you know, really learning to work as a team showed up for me um, throughout my career and continues to today. The communication, you know, I just actually went um, a couple nights ago to my neighbor's daughter's volleyball match. She's playing in high school right now and watching the girls on the floor 
and, you know, listening to the coach say, talk to each other, you know, so the ball doesn't drop between two people. Um, watching that match really brought back for me, you know, how much you do learn about communication through athletics and how valuable that is um, in relationships, you know, in career. It really shows up in all aspects of our life. And then also I would say leadership. You know, my senior year I was at Notre Dame. I was fortunate to be the co-captain that year. We had a great season. And I really saw there um, the leadership skills that I developed there. Um, certainly, you know, fast forward in my in my career to leading teams that the the skills are very transferable, I'll say, if that resonates, that, you know, very similar skills and you can take those skills across different environments and really have them um, provide value. You made a great point when we were talking before as well about being present and being in tune with your body in a, a different kind of way than, you know, maybe many of us throughout our lives fall into this sort of default mode of taking our bodies for granted. But uh, in that phase of your life, you were, you were very much in tune with your body because it was, it was taking you places. Right. I found that that's been a lesson, Andy, that I've learned the so-called hard way um, is being in tune with my body and really listening when it's giving me a message that isn't the one that I would like to hear. Um, and if I, if I rewind even a little bit before, you know, college, back to the, the backpacking experiences with my family, you know, some of my absolute best memories of my life, um, and my dad, you know, to, to anybody looking outside in might say, oh my goodness, that my dad would, you know, he's known for this march or die. Um, when we were backpacking, you know, my siblings was like, you either go and you make it or you don't. And it certainly, he is the, you know, toughest, most gentle person that I know, incredibly loving. And of course, he was not going to leave us, you know, in the middle of the backcountry and then really tuning in to our bodies and going beyond what we thought was possible is really something that we learned and you know also became very valuable you know you've got my very tough gentle dad and then you've got my sweet kind mom um you know who's also doing all these same things and we're looking at ourselves as kids like we better be able to you know keep up and and it was really then a lot of the, you know, the mind over matter and the, the mental toughness and some of those lessons. And then when I go, when I go back to college where the lesson came in is it's, it's that line that I know a lot of people are faced with of when is it, when do I have a lot more capacity to really push through something and go beyond what I think is possible versus when is my body talking to me in a way that it's time to stop or it's time to do something different? And that's the part when I said earlier, I learned the hard way. Um, for me, my freshman year at Notre Dame, you know, during preseason when you're doing like three, three hour practices a day, five days in a row, one, you know, one day off, more intense training than I had ever experienced. And I knew that my shins weren't feeling good and they were getting worse and they were getting worse. And it finally got to a point where, you know, I'm on the, the table after practice. My 
favorite part of a practice was jumping in the ice bath, you know, up to your knees after practice, just to let that whole lower part of my, my legs go numb. Um, and so I knew, I knew something was wrong. And then I was so focused on, I got this opportunity to get a full ride and I've got to prove myself and really hard headed in a way, um, you know, really don't want to let the team down, all those, you know, all those thoughts happen. And then, you know, our trainer at one point was using an ice cup on my shins and I, I just jumped off the table. You know, it was like I could practice on the court because I could so-called block out that pain. And then when I was off the court, you know, it was tough to even walk. And so she immediately, long story short, you know, sent me in, ordered the bone scans, and I had, you know, multiple stress fractures across both my shins and had the doctor look at me and say, you know, you could have landed at any moment and, and had your shins just shatter, um, and you wouldn't have played again, you know, let alone been able to do a lot of other things in your life. And so that was one of those real big messages for me that um, our bodies talk to us all the time. And it's amazing how often we don't listen, you know, and that when something gets to a physical level where our body's really screaming, then it means that something's been going on, you know, your conscious mind's heard it, probably your subconscious, emotionally you've had feelings, you know, it's like it, there's so many different layers that, um, that have been talking to us. And then once it gets to that physical physical level, you know, it's, it's right in your face. And sometimes that's where it finally gets our attention. If I was ever asked, like, what keeps me up at night? It's really around, you know, how to wake people up before it becomes one of those, you know, crisis type situations or something that takes a lot longer to recover for from than if we had tuned in sooner. And so it's not that's not a question that I have that I have the the exact answer to yet. So if there are any listeners out there that that have thoughts on that, I would certainly love to hear them. And then as you know as well, you know, I experienced that again. It took me a couple times of not listening to my body before now I feel like I am, you know, I'm a lot more in tune with it than I have been, you know, thus far in my life. So there you are at Notre Dame and, and you get this big flashing warning about pushing your body too hard, but it had been such an important part of your journey and in many ways, you know, how you came to be at Notre Dame. So how did you, how did you process that and, and where did, what did you do with that ultimately? Did you envision continuing on and becoming a professional athlete or how did that change your, your journey at that point? You bet. Yeah, great question. Um, for me at the time, it was really, I knew I was there, I'll say, ultimately for the education. You know, at the time, um, there wasn't the WNBA, you know, professional basketball for women. And most of the professional volleyball was more on beach circuits, you know, and not experience. I played really just indoor and indoor sixes at that point. And so professional athletics, I would say, even going into college wasn't necessarily on my radar. I certainly loved it. And it was almost though I, I viewed it more as a ticket and really had kind of grounded in me that it would be the education piece 
that would be really important beyond that. And I didn't discount the importance of, you know, having been a college athlete, and it certainly helped me more than I could have imagined that it would at the time. And then it was really the school that I knew was important. So it was interesting my freshman year, you know, it certainly when you're injured and I did a medical red shirt, um, you end up with a lot of time to think, right? A lot of time where you're at practices and, you know, for a while I couldn't do anything and then I could start riding a bike and fast forward months before I could Stairmaster and whatnot. And so it really gives you a lot of time to think and reflect, which I think was great. It gave me more time um, in the short term to focus on school which was helpful because definitely coming into a situation where you're, you know, I got my degree in finance, I was going into business school and, you know, practicing five-ish hours a day and traveling and, you know, that just managing um, all of that was a big transition as well. And so I would say for me it was, it was a time of reflection. It was a time to really look at what was important. There was never a doubt for me that I would recover from that. Um, and that's something that I carry forward to this day, you know, in the same way we have the ability to neglect our bodies. Um, they also still have such an innate power and ability to heal when we do tune in. Um, and so for me at that time, you know, I don't remember ever having a thought like I wouldn't play again. You know, it was more how fast can I get back on this court because there's, there's a lot to do. Um, and fortunately, I did go on you know, to playing not a ton my sophomore and junior year, and then you know, my senior year was a co-captain and started, and you know, we went to the Elite Eight in the NCAAs that year. And so um, the experiences that came through that, the friendships, you know, our team was like a family. So having grown up, with such a close, strong family, it was neat being away at school to have that same dynamic. Um, and then, you know, ultimately always keeping education, you know, at the forefront of that as well was very supported at Notre Dame, which was great. You know, it was very demanding athletically, and also there was a big focus on academics as well, um, which made that easier. So then what did you decide to do after Notre Dame? So I am one of those people that really fell into what I did. And I, <laughs> I shake my head at myself and laugh as I say that because, you know, it's just like even when I was there getting a degree in finance, again, I'll, I'll rewind just a second to lead into what came after just because you'll, you'll see a pattern. Um, you know, when I was at Notre Dame, it was like, oh, business sounds great. And then... I really loved my first finance class and didn't like my first accounting class, so I decided to get a degree in finance. And at first, accounting was on my radar because I thought, I love numbers, I'm a math person, I could be a CPA, live anywhere. And then truly based on, you know, this is that, the youngness, I guess, um, and maybe some naivety, it was like, well, I didn't really like that class. Finance is great, so I'll get my degree in finance. Well, never once, and this, this would be if there's young listeners out there, parents out there, um, you know, whose children are looking at going to, to school, to really think about what it is. You know, when I get this degree in finance, what is it that I 
could do afterward with that degree. I can't say I ever gave that a lot of thought at the time. And so here I come into my senior year where it's time to start interviewing. And for me, it was, wait, working on Wall Street? That doesn't sound great. Investment banking? No. What's really important to me is getting back to the Northwest. So as much as I loved Notre Dame and the family I built there, I missed the Northwest. I missed the mountains um, and being closer to family. And so truly, to be very transparent, when I started interviewing, that was my focus is I'll put my resume at, you know, in the box of any company that has locations in the Northwest. And fortunately, um, there was a consulting company that had locations all over. And they really took people from um, they're now called Accenture. They were Anderson Consulting at the time. You know, their specialization was to take people from a variety of backgrounds, and then they really put a lot of faith and belief in their training program. And so that's what that's what took me to Seattle, was deciding to um, be part of that company and go through their training. And six weeks later, I got staffed out at Microsoft, and didn't have much at all of a background in computers and software. And so again, it was one of those experiences of dive in, um, figure it out as you go. Of course, you're expected to add you know, big value when you're out there as a consultant. And that's where my career really took off um, from an IT perspective. I spent almost four years consulting before then I, I chose to become a full-time employee at Microsoft in, what was that, 1998 and was in and around the IT information technology area the whole, the whole time. What was that time at Microsoft like for you? It was intense. You know, to this, to this day, I will say um, it's a great company. I met a lot of, um, again, you know, it's like you form a lot of neat people, smart people, driven people, and you form you know, you can form families almost anywhere you go. And that's what, you know, as I started leading teams, that's really what my teams became like is, you know, kind of, again, an extension of, of family. And I really, I really had that leadership style. And I think this comes from, you know, I can look at times with my dad as well of, you know, leading by example and, certainly not being someone where you're going to try to force people to follow you. It's like if you're leading by example um, and not expecting people to go where you won't go um, or do what you won't do, then, then that happens more naturally. And so I would say it was, you know, it was leading teams. It was making a difference. Um, some of my most fun times there, you know, came from some of the late nights, the weekends that we spent doing really big things. And then again for me, you know, this was my second big wake up call in my life. I was I was there for so thirteen total years and really people outside looking in, you know, kept telling me I was married to my career. And of course when you're in something, sometimes you'll have those blinders on, I know I did, and not really listen. You know, in a year in to my career, people were saying, you're going to burn out. Um, you know, I would be there 80, 90, over 100 hours a week. I mean, people would call my work phone before any other phone. Um, I was known, you know, at times to sleep or call it nap in my office. Um, and for many years, I really 
I really enjoyed it. And again, I think it was you know, like I experienced at Notre Dame, that big ramp of doing something you haven't ever done and really caring about the people that you are working with and the difference that you're making, um, it really causes me to kind of go above and beyond what even I think is possible. And then um, at about the 11-year mark in that journey, I got really sick. And um, at the time, I knew something bigger you know, was really off in that, that ability to, to push through walls, to use the mental toughness, um, stopped working. You know, they really just weren't working anymore. And so I kept ignoring it for a while, and then it, it started to get to the point where it was like, wow, I've, you know, I've amassed all this responsibility and kind of become this go-to person, and now I'm not able to carry this load, you know, for myself and my team, what's going on? You know, it started really getting my attention. And long story short with that, um, after doing a lot of research, actually listening to um, a gentleman in a meeting talking about something his brother-in-law was going through caused me to, to pinpoint, you know, some different areas in the research I was doing. And I ended up um, getting diagnosed with a blood cancer called uh, multiple myeloma and told that I had an 80 to 90% chance of dying in the next two to three years. You know, that was the kind of diagnosis and, and prognosis all in one. And so you would really think that from my time at Notre Dame, I had learned to tune into my body. And once again, um, I guess maybe when people tell me I'm a little hard-headed, I ought to listen because, you know, that was, that was obviously a really big wake-up call. And I would say at the time, you know, I, I know looking back that I did go through a lot of fear. I went through some denial at first. And, you know, Andy, I mentioned this to you a little bit where I, I literally ignored it for a while and kept working, you know, and just kind of said, I don't have time for this. We have a lot to do and kept working until, you know, that really became not possible. And then, um, that's when I chose, you know, after doing a lot of research, listening to what treatment options were possible, not finding anything that really resonated for me, um, I can only describe it as having this, this peace come over me and really like a voice saying, you know, you created this, you know, through your lifestyle and you can uncreate it. Um, and it gives me chills to this day even to, you know, to bring that back because it was the most powerful thought and feeling. And really when, you know, when we talk about health and wellness and you look at, you know, some of the different pillars, nutrition and how much we sleep and are we moving our bodies, you know, are we exercising and what's our stress level all about, all of those four, you know, I was striking out and in all of those categories. And that's where I really just had what I'll call a peace and knowing that if I changed those things, that my body could heal itself and that this was just kind of a blip on the radar and that it obviously takes big things to get my attention. And so, you know, this was one of them. And that's when I chose um, to, you know, leave my career at Microsoft. I ended up doing a sabbatical for three months. I mean, they, 
they really handled it beautifully, tons of support, and I still made the choice to leave, um, you know, to really give myself a best, the best chance I could. And, and I remember telling, you know, the doctor at the time, like, I really don't accept this diagnosis. You know, give me six months and, and you're not going to detect this in my system. And, you know, looking back, I think a lot of it was that belief, the conviction, knowing that it was possible. Um, in the moment, I felt like most of what I changed was on a physical level, you know, changing my nutrition and starting to sleep more. Um, and then in hindsight, I really see how the visualization I had done that I had really learned through athletics, you know, I guess that's another place of, of athletics showing up in my life later. You know, I, I remember lying in bed visualizing my spine, you know, with no fractures in it and visualizing my blood pure and that belief, you know, the love, the love that I had from my family and friends and people around me and the belief I realize now in hindsight that that played a much bigger role in the healing than I ever would have realized at the time. Hmm. I love that image of, I don't accept this diagnosis. <laughs> that's great. You know, that that's cheeky and brave and courageous to, to listen to that voice that you, that you were talking about, about tangibly uncreating what had happened to you. Yes. Yeah. Not exactly. I will, uh, I will caution people, not exactly what most doctors would like to hear, <laughs> <laughs> especially when they're telling, you know, or encouraging you to do something very different than that. And then, yeah, most definitely a lesson in really following, you know, following your own true north and following that voice that, that is the strongest as inside of us. This was, that was a huge lesson in doing that for sure. So where does that bring you to today in terms of the, the work that you're doing in the world? So it really grew out of that. And that's where, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer now and certainly see through experience that, um, you know, what happens in our lives can really be, you know, the experiences we have can really be a blessing um, if we allow them to be. And if that's the lens that we choose to look at them through um, and just realizing that we always have choice in that has been very powerful for me. Um, I now look back at it and I view it as truly one of the biggest blessings in my life because knowing myself and having seen my history, if, if there wasn't something that loud, I wouldn't have made a change, you know, and I still, as much as I enjoyed my career there, I remember when I used to get asked, you know, do you just love software and technology? People thought I did because I worked so much. And my answer was always no, <laughs> like emphatically no. You know, I love the people and making a difference. And then the software and technology, I could take it or leave it. I'd probably teach or coach, you know, if, if I had it to do over again. And then, and then I never took long enough, you know, to really let that germinate. And so what this, you know, going through what I did brought me is it brought me right into what I feel like I'm, I'm here to do. And that is, um, so now it, it grew very organically, I'll say, out of that experience where now I'm doing wellness coaching um, and certified in, in a program called Nutrametrics that's really around 
um, custom health solutions for licensed health providers, so physicians who you know, would like to bring more of a wellness-based approach into their practices, which fortunately is, is growing. You know, it's, it's slow and it is growing. So one of, my, you know, one of my many missions is really to heal healthcare and to really increase the, the education. Even, you know, I can even see it back into schools, you know, at younger ages with, with our kids um, to focus more on the education starting young and prevention instead of, you know, instead of waiting until things, you know, get out of control and then looking for band-aids and things that only deal with the symptoms and don't really get to that, the root cause. Um, so that's one, one thing that I'm very passionate about. And then also I found through that wellness coaching because I really, you know, when I look at a person's life, I can really look at the, the 360 degree view around them of what really impacts and what plays a role on their health and well-being. And so I just recently, in fact, it started last week, enrolled in an academy um, to do a one-year program to certify as a life coach. Um, and then there's some different, you know, energy modalities in there um, because I'm always looking for more tools, so to say, to have in my toolbox. Um, one thing I've seen, you know, very clearly with people is we certainly don't live in a one-size-fits-all world. And so a protocol that's going to work great for one person may not for another. And so I'm always looking for ways, things that I can learn, tools, techniques um, to bring to people, you know, to whatever it is for them that's going to bring that light back into their life, that's going to, um, you know, enhance where they're at or fix something that they deem broken. Um, that's, that's another avenue that I'm, that I'm pursuing now as well and just, and just constantly open to, you know, how can I bring more value to my clients and, and then potentially people, you know, I haven't even met yet, you know, how can that continue to ripple out into the world? What an amazing journey of healing and lessons learned along the way. It's a, it's a, it's a fascinating story. And uh, that's really why I wanted to talk to you on the, on the show today is that, you know, what we, what we do on any congruent life is really focus on sharing stories of um, authenticity and congruence are the words that we usually use when we're, we're sort of relating these lessons. So what does living authentically or congruently mean to you? I love both those words. <laughs> and, and if you had asked me 10 years ago, I might have been like, what? And now they, they have such huge meaning in my life. When I hear the word authenticity, for me it means living from my heart. Um, and what I mean when I say that is really feeling what I feel. Um, and I'll explain that to say, you know, what I've discovered through my journey is that, you know, no emotion that we experience is really inherently good or bad unless we label it that way. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, sadness, anger, fear can bring us really as much value as much transformation as happiness, joy, and love if we allow those emotions to be and to flow. 
And I, I just find that, you know, so often in life, let's say you'll see a child get sad and, and a parent will say, don't be sad. You know, so often we grow up um, not thinking it's okay to express and to experience the emotions that we're feeling. And what I've really found in my own experience is that, you know, the fastest way to move through an emotion and, you know, to be in that very authentic space is to feel it, you know, to feel it completely, to accept it, to allow it to embrace what it is that we're experiencing. And that's, that's how we can really be present, you know, present to what's happening in our lives. That's where some of the, the greatest wisdom, I would say, comes from, the greatest messages that I've received come from those times, not always the times that if we were to label things, we'd think are the happiest, greatest times in our lives. You know, sometimes as much wisdom can come from what we may think in the moment are some of the the lowest times in our life. Along with that, um, a piece of, I'll call it the, the puzzle that I am still learning myself is, is really around, you know, when we're living from our heart, it's easier to, to speak our truth, you know, to really say yes when we mean yes and no when we mean no. And that for me is, is part of authenticity and something I've learned um, the hard way because I used to be, again, that the hard word. Um, I used to be a real yes person. In fact, you know, my dad sent me an article in college I still remember that was like how to say no um, because I used to be a yes person and then I would get myself committed to so many things and overwhelmed and they wouldn't even necessarily all be things that I had an interest in doing. I just wasn't speaking authentically. And I really have learned that, you know, when we, when we find that true yes for us and that true no, um, people respect that, you know, and we don't have to make up reasons for, for what those answers are because when we're, you know, living truly from our heart and speaking what's true for us, then, you know, people feel that and that, that authenticity and then that will ripple out from there. Well, speaking of that true yes and true no, what's uh, what's going on in your world that you're excited about now, Julie? So lots of, um, yeah, lots of things that I'm excited about now. So, and some of it, you know, some of it we touched on a little bit, the, the wellness coaching and healing healthcare. I'm excited about any role that I can play there. Um, the life coaching, you know, and really being back in school for the next year. Um, I'm certainly excited about, and I know you're going to include with this recording an offer that I'd love to make, you know, to any of your listeners who are interested in, you know, doing a 30-minute a free coaching session early next year um, is something that I would love to offer to people, um, to anybody that that resonates for, and I know you'll include the, the information on that with this conversation I definitely will. Thanks for that generous offer. Absolutely. And and then one other thing um, that I'm really enthused about is the abundant living world. And I know it's been about a month ago, was it, that you had a conversation with Eric Plantenberg? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was episode 24, I believe. Yes. And so it's really his 
creation, I'll say, from his heart, this abundant living retreat and leadership curriculum that I've been immersed in and will be playing you know, a bigger role in going forward as well. And so that's, that's something that really offers people um, an opportunity, I'll say, to really just unplug from what may be going on in their lives. You know, we talk so much today about how busy people's lives are, and we see that so much. And this, you know, this retreat in this space that he's created really gives people a chance to unplug, you know, from their busy lives and plug into themselves over a four-day period with just all kinds of fun and goodness that's part of that. And so I'll be I'll be doing more with that, um, you know, with that curriculum and kind of how we, how we bring it forward and how we touch a bigger part of the world with that as well. So that's definitely something that I'm enthusiastic about. How can our listeners engage with you, Julie? The best way right now, um, a couple different methods. One would be simple email. Um, if there's anything that really resonates or questions you know, that come up for people um, on anything that they've heard in our conversation today, um, I'm happy to have them reach out. My email is julieharris2020 at hotmail.com. And I won't even go through all the spelling and stuff of that because I know, Andy, you'll probably include the details much easier for people to link to. Sure. Um, Facebook is another great place. I tend to use Facebook just to, to share what inspires me, what's going on. Um, and my Facebook, it's facebook.com, and then it's Jules20, so J-U-L-E-S-2-0. You'll see that 20 t- tends to be a theme <laughs> in my world. It was, and that goes back to sports too. It was my number all through high school and, and still is my favorite number. So yeah, email and Facebook are great ways. Um, I haven't yet, you know, with the with my future direction and the number of hats I'm wearing, I haven't yet created a personal um, website at this point. And that's something though that once I do, I'll share on Facebook or through different avenues so people can find that as well. Fantastic. Is there a final thought that you'd like to leave our listeners with about authenticity? There is. Um, as you asked that really interesting, a short story that <laughs> that came to me, which is not something I have thought about in a long time, so I'll I'll go with it. And that is so my my final words were really about um, being who you are, you know, being who you uniquely are in this world. And the the short story came up where um, between. It was actually right after college. I had a a person, my boyfriend at the time, say to me, you know, you don't know who you are. And when I asked him, you know, to elaborate on that, you know, he said, when you're in Idaho, you're the family girl and the mountain girl. And when you're at Notre Dame, you're the student and the athlete. And you come to Seattle and you're the business professional. And I remember pausing, you know, at that moment. And and I felt like I was in a multiple choice test, you know, where my answer was all of the above. You know, I really am all of those. I can, I'll say that I was playing all of those roles in my life. Um, And so I would just 
encourage people, what came up for me, and why that story came up around authenticity is to really be yourself, whatever that looks like, and not to allow others to pigeonhole you, you know, or, or attempt to put you in a box that you don't feel like you fit in. Because I think we can, we can play a lot of roles in the world. And as long as we are, you know, staying true to our heart, um, listening to that inner voice and being who we are, then that's, that's where our greatness um, really comes comes out into the world. And so I would, I would end with, you know, be who you are and love who you are and go for it. Let it shine. Well, Julie Harris, it's uh, delightful to make this connection with you. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk today and for sharing your story with the uh, Congruent Life. Andy, thank you so much. Pleasure being here. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Julie Harris. Since this is episode 30, you can find the webpage for this episode at acongruentlife.net slash 30 or acongruentlife.net slash Harris. Acongruent Life is itself supported by Black Creator Software Solutions. If you're in need of technology solutions for your small business or nonprofit organization, including custom software development, web, or mobile, please check out blackcreator.com. Once again, thanks for being here and listening to A Congruent Life. I really do appreciate your support of this project. Can't say that enough. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to A Congruent Life. For more, please visit us on the web at acongruentlife.net. Do you have feedback about the show or suggestions for future guests? Please contact us through the website or send an email to feedback at acongruentlife.net. See you next time.